Good afternoon and welcome to the workshop, Right Relationships. My name is Drea. I'm a compulsive overeater and the moderator for this session. Before we begin, please turn off, off your cell phones, off, down, no sound. And just so you know, this workshop is being taped. All opinions expressed by those who share are our own and not necessarily those of OA as a whole. The format for this session is a reading, two speakers, ask it basket questions, and sharing on the topic. A basket with paper and pencil will be circulated for you to write any questions you may have for the speakers, and please specify whom your question is for. Uh, before we get into the reading, just not to break the whole reading mood of it, we apparently need a timer. Does, is there anyone with a watch that would be willing to be of service as a timer? Barbara. You win. Um, <laughs> and oh. oh, there it is. It's the stuff I put there. Yeah. Yes, 2025. Okay, the reading is from the big book, page 77. The question of how to approach the man, uh, the, the, yes, the question of how to approach the man we hated will arise. It may be he has done us more harm than we have done him, and though we may have acquired a better attitude toward him, we are still not too keen about admitting our faults. Nevertheless, with a person we dislike, we take the bit in our teeth. It is harder to go on to an enemy than to a friend, but we find it much more beneficial to us. We go to him in a helpful and forgiving spirit, confessing our former ill feeling and expressing our regret. Under no condition do we criticize such a person or argue. Simply, we tell him that we will never get over drinking until we've done our utmost to, be, to straighten out the past. We are there to sweep off our side of the street, realizing that nothing worthwhile can be accomplished until we do so, never trying to tell him what he should do. His faults are not discussed. We stick to our own. If our manner is calm, frank, and open, we will be gratified with the results. Our first speaker is Sherry from Torrance, who will speak for 25 minutes. Hi, I'm Sherry, compulsive reader. Okay, so our topic is. Uh, Steps eight and nine, and uh, we just read out of the big book. It actually starts talking about steps eight and nine before this particularly lovely line where you're talking about making amends to people you hate. <laughs> so, um, and uh, I've been in this program just to qualify for uh, 20 years. I came in in August of 88, and I became abstinent January 2nd of 1989. So I have. 20 years of abstinence in this program. Thank you. And I have worked steps eight and nine. I, it took me a very, very long time to work them because when I came into this program, I had a victim mentality. And um, it was very hard for me to look at my part in things. It was really easy for me to see myself as a victim. Um, I will say that I did have 
a lot of denial about a lot of ways that I had been victimized, where I had blocked certain things out, including sexual abuse, I'm a rape survivor, um, among other things. And um, so I had to go through the process, which for me took several years, literally, of going through and uncovering all of these um, things that had um, been very harmful and painful to me and which um, had caused me, you know, to, you know, block them out and, and to eat, and definitely to eat. Um, because like a lot of us, I ate to physically put up a barrier between, you know, myself and you, especially if you happen to be a man. Um, and so, you know, I understand in this program that, you know, not everyone does things, you know, as quickly as others. And when it comes to steps eight and nine, I was of the slow variety. It took me literally 10 years to make amends to my parents. Um, and it took me that long to be ready to make amends to them. And that's my path. You know, I can't, um, I can't change that. But what I can say is that I'm absolutely glad that I worked steps eight and nine and that I've changed the relationships in my life. Um, steps, you know, steps eight and nine aren't something that you do once. That's why we have, you know, step 10, because fortunately we are not perfect. Um, and we, you know, get to work on ourselves a little bit every day at a time. So in preparation for this, I actually went through some of our literature, in particular the big book and the AA 12 and 12 and the OA 12 and 12. Now, we didn't have an OA 12 and 12 when I started here. We just had the AA 12 and 12. And um, there's some things I like in, you know, one book better than the other. Um, but I do have to say that as far as I'm concerned, if you only have one book, this is the book to have, the big book um, of Alcoholics Anonymous. This, to me, is the most you know, life-saving piece of literature that I know for myself. And um, I had, you know, done all kinds of things before I came to this program to get myself better, and none of them worked until I came to this program. In fact, a lot of those things I continued after going to this program, and I was able to do them a lot better because I put the food down and I got out of the fog of the food fog and all the other stuff that goes with it. Um, so let me, uh, I actually wasn't able to find my edition four, so I'm looking at edition three <laughs> right now. And, um, you know, I have a few of these around over the years. But uh, looking at, um, you know, page 560 in the story to handle sobriety. And we are told, it says, we are told in OA that we cannot afford resentment and self-pity. Um, similarly, we rid ourselves of guilt and remorse as we clean out the garbage from our minds through the fourth and fifth steps of our program. So why do I have to make amends to the person that I hate? Because I need to do it to stay alive. Because I am very clear that I would be dead if it wasn't for this program. I would have either killed myself or I would, someone would have killed me or I would go to prison, you know, something. Because I was a very angry person. Um, so there's... You know, a lot of people out there that I didn't like, my um, four steps had people going back to third grade. I remember one girl took $4 for me and didn't buy me the um, Village People album. So, 
you know, I had a lot of stuff that I had to let go of. And um, the big book talks about, you know, what happens when you work steps eight and nine. And if I'm looking at third edition in the story, um, He Who Loses His Life, page 542. And it talks about a happy man. A happy man is not likely to do harm to another human being. And I want to be happy. And I can't be happy if I have resentments and I am holding on to things. And most of the people that, um, you know, I have harmed, I also have resentments against. So they sort of go hand in hand. That's why when you read in, in you know, the AA 12 and 12 and the OA 12 and 12, it talks about looking at your fourth step and your fifth step and taking people from that list to use for your eighth and ninth step. Now, I will say that I do not believe that every single person on your fourth and fifth step needs to be on your eighth and ninth step. I want to be clear on that because I've heard that, and I'm sorry, but I am not making amends to the man who raped me, okay? I mean, that's as blunt as I can be. There are some people who, you know, I don't have to make amends to because I was truly a victim. But 95% of the time, if I resent someone, yes, there's something that I need to work on there, and I do recognize that. Um, The big book talks about how we can't afford to have resentments, and when we work this program, we end up having harmonious relationships. And for me, those types of relationships did not start coming true until I worked the eighth and ninth step. Um, I didn't get harmonious relationships from working steps four and five. A lot of stuff came up, and I cried for three years. It's me to write my fourth step. But I wasn't able to heal my relationships. And um, if you look at the... the both the OA 12 and 12 and the AA 12 and 12, where you really need to start looking at is step eight. Because step eight is the inside part of this particular part of the program. It's the part where you come to grips with the fact that you've harmed people and a lot of times that they've harmed you. And that's where you have to learn forgiveness. And that's an inside job. Forgiveness is an inside job. And I know that all of us in this program need to forgive ourselves as well. And I can't speak for any of you, but in my house, forgiveness was hard to come by. When I was in college, my parents aren't going to leave me and my sister when they go on vacation because when we were 10, um, we almost burned the house down because someone put a chair next to the heater and it started smoking. You know, so, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, I mean, just like things were brought up again and again, and you could never overcome them, never mind that, you know, you had 20 years of being straight-A students and, you know, all this other stuff after that point. And, um, again, another reason why I don't want to make a to my parents. But, you know, they did the best that they could, and they had a lot, a lot of fears. Um, you know, and as a consequence, I had a lot of fears, and... Um, one of the things that I thought is if I admitted that I did something wrong, that that was it, the world was over, and, you know, God forbid I do anything wrong. So step step nine, when I first read it, terrified me. So I spent a very long time on step eight working through the issue of forgiveness and writing in detail about um, each of the people that, you know, I had, had harmed. And if you look in the OA 12 and 12, it actually um, talks about that, you know, about writing as part of step eight, which I advocate fully. Um, 
so that uh, you can, um, you know, get through the process. You can get to the point where step nine, you do the outside job and you take the action. Because the really, you know, walking up to someone and saying, you know, I'm sorry, I was really rude to you or I, you know, didn't value you or whatever was your issue or, you know, I stole from you. I had to go make amends to a lady who owned an ice cream parlor and I ate my way through a lot of ice cream in my freshman and sophomore years in high school, um, you know, and I made amends to her and I gave her some money, you know, to pay for that. But, um, you know, that part is actually, to me, the easier part because the hard work is when you do the inside job and you get to the point of forgiveness. And in the um, OA 12 and 12, um, in step eight, it talks about the concrete things you can do to work yourself through that step. It talks about writing about the person, and it says two paragraphs or 30 paragraphs, you know, and that's my experience. Some people were two paragraphs, some people were, you know, four pages with, you know, a lot of FUs, you know, till I got to the point where I was able to let it go and realize my part. And then you share it, just like a fifth step, share it with someone. And I had um, someone in particular that I felt very safe with and I shared with. Um, she's one of the people who didn't make it through this program. She killed herself. But I will never forget her because she would listen to what I would say. And it was very scary for me to read these things to people. Um, and then the last thing is that you pray. You pray for that person. And this is all with the idea that you come to the point of forgiveness. And there is, um, on, uh, in the big book, there's a prayer that I've heard referred to as the resentment prayer, and I learned, fortunately, very early in this program. Um, on pay, I'm looking at uh, the third edition, so if it's in a different edition than the fourth one, I don't have that page. But it says, in effect, it's on page 552, if you have a resentment you want to be free of, if you will pray for the person or the thing that you resent, you will be free. If you ask in prayer for everything you want for yourself to be given to them, you will be free. As for their health, prosperity, happiness, and you will be free, even when you don't really want it for them. And your prayers are only words and you don't mean it. Go ahead and do it anyway. Do it every day for two weeks. I did it for 30 days because, you know, I'm a special case. <laughs> and you will find that you have come to mean it and you will want it for them. And you will realize that where you used to feel bitterness and resentment and hatred, you will now feel compassionate, understanding, and love. So I have said the resentment prayer for many, many people. And I'm actually glad to read this because even though I've been in this program for 20 years, I don't say it as much now as I used to in the beginning, you know, because I forget, you know. I forget that there's all these magical things in this book, and that's why I have to keep coming back. To this program I don't get to graduate you know I'm very clear about that and you know I'll say you know so and so I wish for you health happiness and prosperity and all good things in life available to you here on earth and um, I will say that for the person and I will say it every time a bad thought comes in my head about them if I know I need to work on them and I start that you know time process of that that 30 days and you know, when the time comes to make amends, you know, if I have forgiven that person, you know, that's, to me, in my experience, the only way that I can really make a sincere amend. And 
as long as I am not forgiving that person, it's, you know, like, and I don't think I'm going to quote this exactly right, um, but it's like I'm trying to kill someone, but I'm drinking the poison. Because it's not, you know, hurting them. I mean, most of these people are so far away from me at this point because I have gotten rid of toxic relationships and abusive people that they don't even see me. And I'm sitting there still thinking about them. You know, they don't know what the heck I'm doing. Um, you know, Chris realized when I came in this program, you know, there was no Facebook and all this stuff. So, um, so anyway, so I found the resentment prayer, you know, extremely helpful. And, you know, the, the big book talks about, you know, nine times out of ten when you go to someone that you hate, that the results will be, be not what, uh, you know, you expected. And, um, you know, sometimes the other person will make amends to you and, and your feud and your bitterness will melt away. Um, and I, I appreciate that it says nine times out of ten because I, I want to be honest with you. Not every time you make amends does the person get all warm and fuzzy with you, okay? Sometimes they say, yeah, you were real whatever, you know. Um, but the vast majority of the time... Um, you know, the person, it will help your relationship, and it particularly did that with with my parents. Um, in fact, I had planned to make, my parents now live in Arkansas, and I've been in California, you know, for 22 years or whatever, um, and we had, my boyfriend at the time, now my husband, had gone back to Arkansas for a family reunion and I had told my parents before I got there that I wanted to make amends to them or I wanted to talk to them. I didn't, you know, tell them exactly what was going to happen, but I needed to talk to them face to face because that is the way that my sponsor, um, she's no longer in uh, California, but uh, Pat D was my sponsor. She said, if at all possible, you make amends to people face to face. And so, I mean, I have, you know, literally flown across country to make amends to people. Now, generally, they were usually a part of another trip. But, uh, you know, if I'm going somewhere and, you know, I got so money from your ice cream shop, I made a point of going back to that lady and making, you know, finding her and making an appointment with her and sitting down with her. Um, and, you know, the first year we went out there, my parents were so busy with this big family reunion that they had um, but they didn't have time to talk to me. So I had to go back again the next year. I had to wait another year. And, you know, I took my mom separately from my dad because, you know, I have different issues with different people. And, you know, I remember at one point my dad asked me, he said, so is what you're saying you want to have a better relationship from now? And I said, yes, absolutely. And, you know, for the most part we do. Um, Some issues have come up now that I have my own kid. Um, and I see how they treat my son in ways that I don't treat him. Um, and I've had to set boundaries with them. But, you know, other than, other than that, our relationship is, you know, good. And um, one thing I'll say, because I've, you know, worked steps eight and nine, and because I'm married to someone who's, you know, 27 years sober, and we have, you know, a recovery home, is that the way, you know, we raise our son. We say we are sorry to each other, and we say we're sorry to our son. Um, I don't believe as a parent that I'm infallible. In fact, I know I'm anything but. It is the hardest job I've ever had. Um, And my son knows how to say he's sorry. He's not like I was. He's not terrified um, of saying I'm sorry, you know. And he's not, you know, cowering in the corner afraid someone is going to, you know, beat him up if he does something wrong. 
Now, of course, he's also, you know, like 70 pounds and five years old and, you know, four feet tall. Um, but, uh, you know, what can I say? Um, I wouldn't have been ready for that kid before I came to the program. When I was a little girl, I, used to, I, had, I was one of four, I was the oldest of four daughters, and I hated that. I, I wanted to be an only child. And I said, I grow up, I'm going to have one boy. And I did, and man, God has a sense of humor. Let me just tell you about that, because he's a handful, you know, and I have got to, um, you know, work this program, and I still make mistakes all the time, you know. And, um, you know, I, I know there's no way that he can grow up without having, you know, some sort of issue with me, because, you know, I'm a human. But I have this program, and I can keep, you know, getting better, Um and, you know, these to me are, you know, extremely important steps. How am I on time? Okay. All right. Well, I'm doing better than I thought. Um, I mean, they're, they're life-saving steps and they're cleansing steps. In, when I did steps four and five, a lot of what steps four and five did for me was bring stuff up to the surface and then it just sort of sat there. And that was very hard. It was really only when I went through eight and nine that I was able to really um, let go of a lot of things. And I still have to, you know, do, you know, regular 10 steps and, you know, all of that kind of stuff that you need to do in this program. Um, I, you know, you know, read, read this literature, read the, you know, OA and the AA 12 and 12. And, you know, the, the chapters on uh, step eight are particularly good. They're particularly good. Um, they're, they give you real practical advice on how to do these steps. But I do want to say to the newcomer, if you're here and you haven't worked step one, don't worry about step eight and nine. Okay? Because by the time you get there, you'll be ready for it. All right? And if it takes you ten years to get there, that's fine. That's all, you know. Um, if it takes you ten months, that's fine, too. Um, that's just our path. You know, everyone has their own um, path in their own way in this, in this program, and I believe that that path is divinely inspired, and it comes from God. It's not wasn't even really my choice. You know, when I flew out and I had a plan, <laughs> hear God laughing. You know, to make amends to my parents in the middle of this, you know, family reunion thing that they were hosting with, you know, 70 people. God was like, no, I don't think so. You know, your parents have other things in their mind. So. Um, I mean, I've made amends to my sisters, you know, I, I, I've literally made amends to, you know, I have living amends to my pets, because in our house, not only were the kids abused, the pets were abused. So I don't abuse my pets, you know, as much as they may drive me crazy, <laughs> okay? Um, you know, I, 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 sometimes when someone is, you know, not gone, or, you, you know, excuse me, gone, or you can't find them, then... You know, for example, when I was a kid, I was mean to um, some of the people in my school who were, you know, mentally challenged. So what I did was I made a donation to a charity because I don't know where those people are. And I teach my son to, you know, respect everyone. And those are living amends. Um, but I will say living amends, you know, are something that should be part of making face-to-face -face amends, if at all possible. If I walk up to you and I say, I'm sorry, and then I do the same thing, and I don't change my behavior, then that amends is really meaningless. 
So an apology is saying you're sorry, and amends is you're changing your behavior. And that's what, that's to me one of the very important parts of this program, because you are changing your behavior, you're changing your life, and you're changing yourself. And it sounds like a cliche and a platitude, but it isn't. The person that you help when you make amends is yourself. You help yourself far more than, you know, you help that other person. And you may not even realize it because you, you have been sitting there with this poison that's eating you up inside because you hate this person or they did this or, you know, give me my Village People album, you know. Um, and I'm really dating myself. I'm hearing about Michael Jackson. I'm like, honey, I was in the Village People, you know. But, um, it, you know, it's just such a freeing experience to let go of those things. And then... As you go on and your relationships change, the topic is, you know, right relationships, then you find that when something happens, you can deal with it right away. You know, yes, I get mad at my husband. Yes, I get mad at my son. Yes, I get mad at my dog. Okay. I even get mad at my sponsor or my sponsee. You know, very rarely, I have to say. But, um, you know, I can work things out so I don't have to get to the point where, you know, I make amends. And it feels so good if I do something and I just say I'm sorry for it right away, as opposed to walking around and beating myself up with that thousand-pound, you know, mental bat that I have that's, like, you know, always ready to go inside my head. So I'm really uh, grateful to be here, and I, it's an honor to be asked to speak. And thank you. Our second speaker is Jim D. from Los Angeles, who will speak for 25 minutes. Uh, hi, I'm Jim. I'm a compulsive overeater. Yeah, I didn't just walk in here by accident and they asked me to speak or something. There's, there's a reason we're here. Um, uh, it's really great that you were using a lot of the big book because I didn't even bring it with me. So... <laughs> I have the OA stuff with me, uh, uh, and if you've heard me speak before or know me, you know that I'm addicted to literature, so um, please bear with me while I just read a couple of short things. Um, step eight is made a list of all the persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Uh, and if you have a four today, I go to a meeting where there's a lady who, if you don't give the book and page number, she stops you until you give it to her. So it, I was really appreciative of you giving pages and stuff because I have that same kind of thing now. So um, this is page 171 in For Today. Um, and it starts out, not everything that is faced can be changed, which is really comforting to me in some senses, is that I, I, when I do eight and nine, it doesn't mean life turns perfect in that relationship. You know, I do better with that relationship. It doesn't mean the relationship gets fixed necessarily. Um, not everything that is uh, that, not everything that is phased can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is phased. There's a reason for each one of the 12 steps. I cannot pick and choose the ones I want to take and skip the rest. Although that's a great thought. The, the thought of doing steps four, five, and nine have made many a soul quake, and I am no different. But my longing to change my life is stronger than my fear. Uh, and to say anything is stronger than my fear is a major statement. Like other oppressed people, I must gather the courage to face the forces that oppress me, childhood pain, 
Old ways of thinking and responding learned long ago. Taking these steps is an ongoing process, revealing new truths each time around. It is an interesting search and a rewarding way to live. For today, all the promises of recovery can be mine if I want them. This program shows me what to do. Which is kind of a nice, you know, it's, it's like, yeah, we get to make this list and get ready. And if we do this stuff, our life gets better. Um, and then today's page, the 27th, um, is the one I'd like to just mention with uh, step nine. And the reason I actually read step nine is because uh, I was listening to a speaker a little earlier today who was talking about having had strokes and having memory problems. I'm 63, and that's no excuse, but I've had memory problems for a while, and I'm in a program where there are a lot of people with memory problems. So, uh, of various kinds, like we learn something and then we forget we learned it and then we have to relearn it over and over again. So um, I find it safer to just say, um, step nine, major recommends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. And today's page is really cool. It says, by and by is easily said, William Shakespeare. And my wife's in theater, so that's about her. Uh, Before I turn a problem over to God, I am reasonably sure that God expects me to take a stab at it, doing my part. This is called footwork. I know when I am procrastinating and when a task is truly impossible for me, it is not impossible to be honest with someone, to make an amends, to ask another person for help. It just feels like it's impossible. It is not impossible to try to curb my temper or my tongue. For today, what action that I have been putting off can I take? I pray for the willingness to do what is possible to do. And then the last little smidge here is, um, this is from page 299, and it's just the for today part. This is for those who haven't quite gotten to nine, and as was mentioned, you think nine, and you go, oh, God. Yeah, I think I'll stay on one. Um, it says, for today, I'm not afraid to take the next step. Everyone I know who took steps four and five and nine live to tell about it. So everyone who's talking to you about what nine is like, we're still here. You know, it felt like I was going to die, and I didn't. So this is the hope, experience and hope part of things. Um, a couple of other really quick things, uh, literature-wise, um, and then we'll do the experience part of this. Um, in if I think about doing nine, going to people that I've harmed and, and apologizing and then making amends, changing the way I do my life, there has to be some kind of reason that I'm going to risk that. Because I do feel like I'm going to die when I do that. And, the, you know, the, the people I make amends to aren't my friends necessarily who are in my life and happy to see me when I walk in the room. You know, my behavior may have affected some of that. Um, so in um, the AA 12 and 12, um, and this is on page 54 in my edition, which is an old one, so it might be about 52 if you've got a newer one, the pri- is that the primary fact that we fail to recognize is our inability to form a true partnership with another human being. That's how we start. You know, we think we've got relationships, we don't. We're holding hostages, we've got grudges, we're mad at people. You know, I came in the program really even tempered, I was mad at everyone, didn't matter who you were, just mad at you. Um, and then it says on page 79, 
that, uh, you know, what's our goal here? That we may develop the best possible relationship with every human being we know. And there used to be a gentleman in the program who now lives in New York, so I didn't get to hear him very much, who used to say that, that we know when we're through eight and nine and that anybody who walks through the door, we don't want to hide behind the podium or shoot them. You know, it's, it's like everyone who comes through, the door, and it's the best possible relationship. It doesn't say perfect relationship with everyone I know. It says best possible with that person because the relationship is not just me changing me. The other person may still be pissed. They may have hated me to begin with, and they still hate me. So do I want a relationship with them? Probably not. Do they want one? Maybe not, right? So we've got that going on. Um, so I guess I'll do all the reading all at once, and then we'll just talk about experience from this. Um, the other thing is in the OA 12 and 12, and when I came in, there wasn't an OA 12 and 12 either, and I really loved the AA 12 and 12. Um, but in terms of, of what HP wants me to talk about today, uh, is on step eight, page 67, uh, there's this interesting thing that, um, I think we sometimes don't give enough credit to the fact that the newcomer coming in and is getting abstinent, they get a little bit abstinent, and I've got a friend in the program who has a standing joke, if you don't know what's bothering you, eat a little less. And it, it will become clear, right? And so here we've got people who are compulsive overeating, trying for the first time to not eat. And just think of all the overwhelmingly negative crud that needed to get buried by all of that. Just think of all your personal negative crud that you were burying. And just think when it first shows up and you think, <coughs> right, not good. So. On page 67, it says, when we did stop eating compulsively, however, we usually found that our defective ways of dealing with others were a source of pain to us. In many cases, this pain was so great, we were tempted to eat again rather than face it. What's the use of abstaining if I'm just going to hurt, we ask? Is this recovery? I don't want it. Okay? And sometimes we feel like that even after we've been in program for a while. And then it says in the next paragraph, in step eight, we look at our relationships for the purpose of discovering those patterns which have done harm to us and to others. Here we meet guilt head on and get rid of it. Here we learn about the healing power of forgiveness as we discover how to forgive ourselves and others. Most important, we begin here to become willing to make amends. That is to make changes, changes in us, um, in the way we deal with people who, uh, who share our lives. And uh, the cautionary thing is on page 71. As long as we have not forgiven people for harms they have done us, we will find it impossible to make sincere amends to them for our side of the conflict. And I think that's why 8 and 9 are probably as important as 4 and 5 to do with a sponsor or somebody else in program because our perception ain't all that hot uh, in the beginning. Um, so, uh, a couple of minutes just to qualify because I think that's supposed to be part of what I do. <laughs> uh, as I've been pro in program, uh, next month will be 29 years. Um, I'm a grazer. I'm not a binger. I, I get up in the morning and I have breakfast and then I, my next thought is when's the next breakfast and I'm ready to just keep rambling through the house. And before program, it was like a shuffling from cabinet to cabinet um, and then an evening. Uh, my parents uh, 
used to say, if you're quiet and don't wake us up, you can do anything you want. Just be quiet, which I took as free reign to eat anything in the house. Uh, and so that's what I do. I learned how to have the television really low and do everything in the kitchen really quietly and eat really quietly. And then they never woke up and I never got in trouble for it. Uh, and I can remember blackouts where I would wake up in the, you know, because I was staying up later and later to eat more and more, and then I would find myself with my arm over the refrigerator door, looking at this cool light, <laughs> and going, "What in the hell am I doing here?" You know, it was like I had no idea how I got from the living room to the kitchen, opened the door, and was staring into this cool space in front of me. Um, so uh, my story is grazing and up and down, up and down, 20 pounds-ish. So like where I am right now is in, within 20 pounds of where I was when I started. The difference is I haven't had to change clothes size or anything else ever in the last 20-some years. Uh, and uh, if you don't know this and you're younger yet, I'm a gerontologist by trade, as you get older, your body metabolism slows down and you process food less well and you wind up changing your body shape. The, the weight all goes into trunk, arms and legs get thinner, circulation worse, and as a result, as we get older, there's a tendency to put on some pounds. Normal people experience this. When we experience it, it's terror. You know, two pounds, oh my God! You know, and if you read the literature, it says most people put on two to three pounds as they get older. A year, right? Uh, so, uh, I'm a grazer. I <laughs> just grazed, and uh, the good news is that now I can actually do a life instead of spending my time going from cabinet to cabinet to refrigerator to stove to, you know, and, and actually have relationships, which is really great news. Um, so, uh, eight and nine. Uh, eight is really, really important because if I don't do the forgiveness first, the literature tells us that nine's not going to work well. So I'm going to give you some experiences with nine, which is the actual immense part, to give you a sense of the range of stuff. And my um, wonderful news is that at this point in my life, I have complete, absolute faith in eight and nine. And I have faith that what it does is it heals me. It does not give me perfect relationships with everyone I know. It means that I can walk into a room anywhere and not be terrified of the person or whatever, right? Um, so my first inventory I did on my first wife, uh, and I did not seek guidance from anyone because I'm a wise ass and I know everything, right? So um, I made the first amends, and we got in a fight <laughs> with the first amends because I was making amends for the stuff she did wrong to me that forced me to do the stuff that I was making amends for. Hey, ah. And I can tell by your response that you can understand that logic. You know, I'm really sorry I yelled at you. And, you know, and if you hadn't really said that to me, I wouldn't have really had to yell. And, you know, and that's not amends. So um, then I had to go and make amends for the first amends. And, and just to give you a clue, that's not fun. The, the second time around, the person's a little more on edge. And... I feel less confident. Um, there's a, a friend gave me a really good hunk of advice about changing behavior. Uh, I tended to lie a lot, and it wasn't 
to look good necessarily. I just lied. People would say stuff and I'd make stuff up. It was kind of fun. Right? And uh, so I wanted to change that. And um, this friend in program said, well, the best way to stop lying that I know is that as soon as you're aware that you lied to the person, you tell them you just lied to them. And if you do that a couple of times, you will stop lying. And it was true. I did it a couple of times and I felt like such an idiot that the draw to the lie was, was gone. So, uh, so that was good. Uh, the idea that we go to the man we hate and, you know, that that's harder. Yeah, of course it is. You know, you go to someone who loves you anyway, you know. And I know some people in program have said, well, that's why I went to my parents first with the amends because they're my parents. They should love me. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I didn't do that. Um, what I, I started with family, though. So I did my ex-wife, and we then made another amends. And she was in program, so it worked out eventually. Uh, I went to my sister because I thought she's the safest person I know. She loves me. She still today loves me unconditionally. She thinks I'm awesome. So that's cool. So I thought, this is safe. I'll do this. So I, I sat down. We, we went to a restaurant, and I apologized for doing all the stupid things that brothers do to sisters and, you know, cheating on this and lying about that, doing all that kind of stuff, and um, asked for her forgiveness and told her that I was going to uh, change my behavior that I already had since I was older by the time I was doing this, and then I, that I wanted to continue being a good brother rather than the kind I was before. And uh, she said, thank you, that really helps me a lot. You know, I wish you would make amends for the thing you didn't mention. <laughs> and I thought, you're the safe one, shut up. <laughs> I don't want to hear this. Um, so... Uh, I said, okay, and what would that be? You know, and she said, well, uh, when we used to go to dinner, I used to be terrified of going to dinner every night because you and Dad argued at the dinner table every night, and I was afraid one of you guys was going to hit the other one. So every night I went to dinner with a knot in my stomach, hoping like hell that neither one of you hit the other one. We never hit each other. In her head, though, my arguing over really important stuff you know, like politics or sporting events. It doesn't matter what we argued about. It was stupid stuff. He was my father. I was his son. We needed to argue about something. So we did. And, and that terrified her. So I made amends for that and, and just told her, I'm really sorry. I, I didn't know, but I do remember I acted like that. That, that was me. That was my behavior. And I'm really sorry that that, you know, caused all that problem in meals for you and all those scary feelings just coming to the dinner table. Um, so we have a good relationship. Okay, that's a plus. And, but she loved me before, she loved me after. And it's sort of like it was good, it's still good. My parents, different. Uh, my dad, uh, we didn't get along. He was in construction and wanted me to learn the, uh, how to do stuff. Uh, I could care less about fixing anything pretty much. I mean, I don't fix cars. I don't do stuff. Uh, and for him, that was what he knew and took pride in. So what do you teach your son? The stuff you're good at and you take pride in, so he will have those gifts too. I mean, it so logically makes sense unless you're the kid. <laughs> and then it's like, I don't want to learn this stuff. And so he tried to teach me how to repair a lawnmower. 
And he'd say, first you do this. And I said, okay, well, let me do it because if I don't do it, I won't have the hands-on visceral learning thing, you know. And he could not teach me. I mean, in retrospect, I look at it and think, he couldn't have taught me anything because his teaching style was to do it and say, just do what I'm doing. And that was it. It's sort of like, you know, he would swim across his little stream and he goes, okay, now you do it, you know. And I'm saying, going, but, 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 you know, it's the same kind of thing. So he would get really mad. I would get really mad. We would argue all this kind of stuff. And at one point, when I was going to make amends to him, uh, I did all the writing and I already knew I had an attitude. I yelled a lot and all this kind of stuff. Um, and what I heard from people in the program was, oh, you know, there will be this magical moment where he'll just show up because when you're ready to make amends, these people show up from out of the woodwork and there they are and they're ready, you know, and all this stuff. And it's great. So he comes to the house and I go, ah, this is it. This is going to be my time, you know. And he'd walk in the house and go, I just came to pick this up. See you later. Bye. And he'd be gone. And half the time, most of the time, he came with my mom and I didn't, you know, the two of them were like fused. Uh, my dad's been dead two years now. My mom still talks to him and has pictures all over the house because she still has him alive in her, which is great. She says, am I nuts? And I say, well, do you feel better doing that? She said, yes. I said, keep doing it. You know, that's good. So they were always together. So I kept having these moments where I thought, this is it, this is it, this is it. And why? Because my higher power wanted me to learn that I have to ask for things that I want. So I finally asked for time. We set up a time. I go over to their house. I walk in the door. My mom says, hi. My dad says, hi. I say, dad, can we talk? Because we had set this up. And we go walking down the hall. My mom says, wait a minute. Where are you guys going? And I said, uh, we're going to talk. And she said, without me? And I said, well, yeah, this is part of my recovery program, which they have never gotten. Uh, this is part of my recovery program, and I need to talk to dad to make amends for some of my behaviors when I was younger. And she got this look, and she said, so when are you going to talk to me? <laughs> and I just thought, oh, thank you. So, um, so anyway, I talked to him. Uh, we had had a fight when I was younger, and we were arguing over TV volume. Like I said, we didn't pick major things. You know? So he turned the volume down, I'd turn it up. You know, he could yell and scream, I'd yell and scream. And finally, he picked me up, threw me out of the house, and said, you're never coming in my house again. I knew that he didn't mean it, so I sat on the front porch waiting. My mom came out and sneaked, snuck me in and got me past all this stuff, you know, so that was all good. But I wanted to make amends for the fact that I just pushed that. I could have just stopped and did not. So I apologized, and I, and I said, do you remember that time we got in the fight and you threw me out of the house for a while? And he said, yeah, I do. And I thought, whoa, this is like 20 years later, right? I said, so... I just wanted to say I'm really sorry that I kept pushing it and, and pushing your buttons and pushing at you till it, it blew up into that. And I, and I, and I really apologize for, for, being, for doing that. You know, and he said, uh, you know, he said, I didn't feel good about that either. He said, but I just thought, well, I'll grow it. I don't know what to do with that. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know how to fix that. So it'll probably be okay. And in 20 years, neither one of us will remember it. 20 years later, we both remembered it. We were carrying stuff. Like you were saying, you carry the stuff about the album from you know, when you're three, and you think, I'm past that. I'm a mature adult. Yeah, right. So it was, it was like we both remembered. And what I got was an instant sense of gratitude for this recovery program. I have a step nine that allows me to come back 20 years later, but at least come back. And he has nothing. 
Even after I did it, he didn't apologize for his part in it. He doesn't need to. Mine is mine. I clean my side of the street. I get recovery. But what was sad for me was that he couldn't. And he never had a way to do that. And he's the adult that trained me. He was doing the best he could. He was carrying this for 20 years and had no clue. Right? So the good news is that as he got, and then I made him, it's my mom as well. And, um, but this, this took like a year of doing step eight to get to the point where HP thought I was ready to do it because I had a hard time with him with the same problem. I would, I would think, you know, I'm sorry I really yelled at you, but if you just hadn't, you know, now it's the next thought in my head. So I hadn't forgiven him for something that he didn't really do wrong. I had to forgive me too. I'm part of this. I had to forgive me for my reactions and all of that so that I could let go of his reactions so that I could make amends for my part. Right? So it's a great process. It's an awesome process. And what does it give me? Does it cure all relationships? No. My, my dad, it was a long process. By the time he, he died a couple years ago, I uh, had multiple little strokes and that, was demented. As he got older, I went to him one day, and, and the best I could do at some points was to go in and say, I will spend 10 minutes with this man because my living amends to him was to be a good son. Right? So I'd go visit. I'd stay 10 minutes and I'd start turning into a nine-year-old who was guilty of everything and trying to fix my parents' relationship and do all that stuff. And so I started timing myself and I'd say, you have 10 minutes. I have one minute. I have 10 minutes to, uh, to fix this uh, in the sense of watching and seeing what happens. So it eventually got longer. And then eventually I asked him for a hug because we had stopped doing hugs during this transition. Right? So I said, Dad, uh, can I give you a hug? And he said... Do you have cancer? <laughs> he, he thought I must be dying or I wouldn't want a hug. So I said, no, no, I just want to give you a hug. So I, you know, he's like this, you know, and he didn't die of a stroke or anything. He just was tense. And we eventually got to the point where he was so tired and confused in his chair. It was a monumental effort for him to get up when I came to visit. He would get up every single time and give me a hug as soon as I came in the door. He'd say, wait a minute, I'm getting there, you know, and he'd struggle and he'd get up. Now, if I had never made amends to him, maybe that would have happened anyway. But I wouldn't have been moving in that direction, even if he was, right? And what's, what allows me to do that is eight and nine. It allows me to clear me, to find out what I need to do differently, to amend my behavior, my attitudes, my thinking patterns, so that I can move toward a better relationship. Uh, and again, it doesn't guarantee the relationship is perfect. It means I get to be moving in a better direction. And what a great way to go. My other way is to just eat myself into oblivion and hope like hell you die before anything bad happens. Right? I mean, that's it. So do I want to just eat myself into oblivion or do I want a richer, fuller life where I can't control? The hard part is I can't control the outcomes. HP has got all of them. I do the footwork. I can't even control my healing. I get to heal. As I get to heal, my life gets better. That's the option over the food. In AA, they have this really great idea. We have a chronic fatal illness. We all have a chronic fatal illness. Our options, insanity, death, or recovery. Pick the good one. Thanks. Okay.
Okay, we'll now have 10 minutes of questions from the Ask It basket. Where is that in the room? Are there questions in it? Are they easy ones? No. Could you just open them up or should I read them and then say who they're... I think so. I think that's sort of what it said. Was, um, okay, this is not to either one of you, so, you know, either first, to the, either first to the buzzer or if you both want to answer. Do you have any really significant relationships, sisters, brothers, etc., that you never felt you had to make amends to? Um, I'm Sherry, from a reader. Um, I made amends to two out of my three sisters. My youngest sister, I adored her. She was the baby, and um, you know I treated her like my baby, and I didn't feel that I owed any amends to her because I, I had a completely different relationship with her than I did with um, my other sisters. So um, I, I was never led in that direction where I felt that. Um, I owed her an immense. Now, I know I drive her crazy because I still talk about her like she's a little kid and, you know, I'm, she's putting her, her head on the counter and she was going, oh, my stomach hurts when I would be making cookies. My stomach hurts. I'm really hungry. So she could get to lick the beater. I think she belongs in this program. But um, <laughs> I don't think I harmed her by, you know, loving her and, you know, remembering that, you know, she was a cute little kid. So um, we just, you know, uh, out of, all the relationships I had that were messed up, um, that one, you know, was a good one. And so I had, a, you know, a few of those. I had a good relationship with my grandmother. Um, it helped that I was her favorite. <laughs> so, um, and I don't know how that happened because I was never the kid who was anyone's favorite, ever. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's definitely people that I didn't have to make, you know, amends to. I don't feel that I, even today, you know, owe them amends even you know, 20 years in the process. So thanks. I'm just going to give a quick answer to that. I don't have anybody close to me that I feel like I haven't harmed. I've made amends to everybody except I have three sons. I've made amends to two of them. And one, my higher power is doing a dance with me with. And so I know I still get to do that. I'm, I did a fourth step on him uh, for a long period of time. He said he didn't want to talk to me at all. There's a lot of alcoholism in my family, and so we fragmented. And so he disappeared for a long period of time. He told the rest of my family. He got married, had children, and he told them, I don't want him anywhere near my family, anyone in my family. So I wasn't there for any of that. Uh, and he gets to do that. Uh, then I, it, finally, she showed up for a couple of minutes, and then I couldn't find my writing to do prayer work because I know I can't just go and spit out all this stuff to him that I haven't processed recently because that would be memory of memory. Um, and by the time I found it and put it together, he was gone again. And then he came back again and the same thing happened and now he's gone again. So I still have amends to make to him. Uh, but the question about whether there's somebody I don't have amends to uh, make if they're that close as family, then uh, that's not my experience, is to have somebody I don't owe amends to. Thanks.
There is a person who abused me for two years to the point I contemplated suicide. I can't forgive them. At least I think I can't. Do I have to make amends to him? What can I possibly gain? What can I possibly gain by it? I'm Sherry Kosor Reader. Um, you know, I have um, I have a, a friend in this program, and he had been told at one point, and I've heard this before, that if you resent someone, that you owe them an amends. And I don't agree with that. And I shared that in, in my pitch, because I don't think that that's true um, all of the time. I don't think that's an absolute truth. There are, there are very few absolute truths that I believe in, and that's not one of them. Um, and this particular friend, he had heard that, and he was molested as a kid. And he resented that person, and he said, well, I have to make amends to them for resenting them. And, his, and thank God he had a sponsor who was smart enough to say, no, you don't have to make amends to that person. Um, forgiving them is something else. Forgiveness is something you need to do in order to be able to make amends to someone that you harmed. But um, just because you resent someone doesn't mean, or someone abused you, does definitely does not mean that you owe them an amends. Um, and I don't know the particular specifics of this abuse, um, you know, so I, I can't comment on I mean, there, there are times where people have a mutually abusive relationship, and I was very much a participant in those type of relationships. Um, myself, but if, you know, part of this program is, you know, learning to process those feelings and however long it takes you to process them is how long it takes to process. It took me a very, very, very long time to process being a rape survivor. And it was someone that I knew, okay, um, who was a good boy, supposedly. Um, and I knew that I had processed it when I had a dream that I walked up to him and they punched him in the face in the dream. And that's when I knew that I was, he was no longer having power over me. So I personally had to do a lot of work on that using professional help. Um, and I went to a lot of meetings where there was a lot of emphasis on people who had, you know, sexuality issues and who had suffered sexual abuse because I needed to, um, focus on that issue for a very, very long time. And I have to say that it's not, it's, I don't lead with that issue anymore. I talked about it today, but, you know, um, there was years where I would have, um, you know, anniversary memories on the, on the, you know, anniversary memories come up on the day um, when I, you know, that thing happened to me. And, um, you know, I would have panic attacks. And, you know, that went on for 10 years after that. So, um you know, if, if this person, whoever wrote this, wants to come up and talk to me, you know, afterwards, I'm happy to talk to you in private because it is a very personal issue. You're going to need to do a lot of personal, hard work on it. Um, but you can get through it. You know, you can. Uh, you can you can actually not have any effect on you anymore. And I say that, and I'm almost in tears that I can say that to you because I never thought I would get over that, what happened to me. But I did. And um, it took a lot of work. So thanks. Okay. So one more, you think? 
One more? Yeah. Okay. We're going to go with one more because we have open sharing after this. Uh, time for three shares at that point. But right now we're just going to do one more of these. And again, this is another either. How do you maintain everlasting relationships with a spouse and work a strong program of recovery? Go! <laughs> Okay, uh, as I mentioned, I was married once before, and now I've been married. Uh, we just celebrated 20 years, uh, and it really helps having a spouse who's in program. It makes the process uh, really good. Um, I think the, the uh, since we're connecting this with eight and nine, I think the ability to look at my own part in things, uh, and she does the same, uh, is really helpful. So, uh, like we were, I don't travel. I hate traveling. My wife, of course, because we have a higher power who has a great sense of humor. I created a higher power that was more stubborn than this disease, or more relentless, as I like to call it, uh, and has a sense of humor. So, we have to negotiate where we're going. So, we went to Tahiti, and Morea, and Taha, and all this, all the French Polynesian places. We went around there for a week. Um, and I don't like traveling because I get anxious because there's much less a sense of control. I did an inventory on control, on, on travel, and my sponsor said, just remember when you're not at home, you're not at home. And when you're at home, there's an illusion that you have control over your life. And when you're gone, the illusion is gone. You never have control, but there's just this illusion at home that you really have control. So when I'm on vacation, I'm anxious like the entire time. It's like something bad can happen. I was trained to be a worrier, trained to be a projective negative person. And so if something bad's going to happen, when I wake up, I've already got 35 negative things that could happen. Right? And people have told me, you know, if you worry, 90% of what you worry never happens. You're wasting a lot of time. And I say 90% effective on the worrying because those 90% <laughs> did not happen. So you can see I'm a little resistant. So I'm anxious. So... One of the nice things in, if you have two people in program is that if, if, if I'm getting off whack or she's getting off whack, we can use some humor around a, an idea or a slogan or something which moves things around. The other is that we're both semi-conscious most of the time. So like we're in the room and um, my wife is doing this little flirty gamey thing, which usually I would, you know, think cool. <laughs> and that would lead to something else. But it was, you know, it was, it was like a flirty, flirtatious little exchange for fun. Um, I was so anxious I didn't even notice it until later in the day. And that's the best I can do currently on trips. Now, there used to be times when I would never have even noticed it happened. So th I see this as progress. And I go, good job, Jim. You know, you didn't totally ruin the vacation. I mean, I've been so anxious I've actually canceled vacations, which is not a good thing. So... So, I, I, you know, the idea is that as we go along, we learn more about ourselves and we get weller. And if we're both in program, we're both getting weller. And that really helps. I don't have experience with being married to somebody who's not in program. 
but, you know, and the everlasting part, I think, is probably a philosophic difference. But maintaining a good relationship and growing is that if I'm growing and she's growing and we're together in program, we're sharing all of that and we're less likely to grow like that and more likely to grow like that. Uh, and that's been my experience. Uh, she does her job I would never do. Uh, she's an actor. I would never be able to deal with that. Um, I did social work and I teach. And a lot of people tell me they could never do social work. So it, it's like being able to hear and be conscious with the other person allows you to get to know them. I mean, the intimacy is built off of that. They don't have to go the same direction or do the same thing. I just need to be conscious of what they're doing and know that they respect me for what I'm doing and I respect them for what they're doing, which is true, you know, which is true. So uh, uh, the other quick thing is, is if you have children, the best place to be is in meetings because I had children before I was in program and I'm still trying to make amends to one of them for what I did when I didn't know any better. And if you've got kids, the best gift you can give them and you, because then you have fewer amends to make down the road, just as a heads up on that. Um, and the other thing is you treat them better. So they have less therapy bills to pay for later on, too. So, you know, being in program is a good thing for the whole family. Thanks. Okay. Uh, thank you for the questions that people put in. We will now have open sharing. We will have time for three shares. If you've already shared at another workshop, please give others a chance before you come forward. Limit your share to three minutes, stay on the topic, and sign the tape release form after you share. Any hands? Hi, I'm Barbara. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, well, thank you so much. And eight and nine are phenomenal. Uh, and the biggest lesson that I have learned, there's many, but the biggest one is that after I make amends, I must keep my mouth shut. Because I'm going to hear from that person in, in many ways how I am going to then conduct myself with them, what they need from me, where it is. Yeah, you know, fine, thank you. I never want to see you again. I have now been given my direction for living amends. Um, or I'm really glad you said that. I really don't like being yelled at. I have now received what I need to hear on how to make, continue my living amends in relationship with them. And not to argue, discuss, debate, or explain to them that they really did have a part. Um, and the, the, just the, the biggest uh, lesson amends that I had was a resentment that I held for six months in the workplace against the executive officer of my agency. Um, I was the uh, general counsel, and I had given advice which was not followed. And um, there were, and I was not selected for a position, and then I had to train the person that they hired from the outside for the position. It was like, so I had justified resentment. And um, it got to the point where we wouldn't breathe in the same room with one another. And uh, I'm in two programs, and the other program told me, you know, I called her, you're not going to leave. Barbara, if you don't take care of this, you're going to drink. 
So I was living with my sponsor in this program at the time, and she, I said, can you believe she said that? She goes, yeah, I agree. You're going to eat too. And I went, oh, you know, F you. And I went to my room. I lived in the same house with her. And in, in 48 hours, I had finally written my part, gotten to it. I was on fire to make amends, on fire. And so I go to the secretary of the EO, and I said, now, can I have an appointment with Sam? And uh, why? Do you have a gun? You know, uh, and uh, anyway, issue. so I finally got in to see him. It took four days to get an appointment. And I go in to see him, and I sit, and he says, oh, yeah, come on in. And I sit down, and I said, Sam, I just want to thank you for make, taking the time to talk with me. I just want to take this opportunity to uh, square things away. I've acted very professionally and maturely and rudely in, in a manner that didn't respect you or this agency. And I want to apologize for my behavior and tell you that I intend to not ever act that way again. And he looked at me and he said, I'm sorry it took you so long to come and say that. <laughs> and you see your reactions? Well, this was my reaction. Spiritual duct tape. And, <laughs> and here's what I heard after he said that. The short version of it is, he complimented me for what I had done for the agency. He had told me what a great asset I was. And he apologized for how he had treated me. And then this former colonel of the Marines guy got up and gave me a hug. And then wrote me a letter of recommendation for the job that I have now. And i got to tell you, that's a miracle. That's a miracle. Thanks. I will. My name is Drea. I am a compulsive overeater. Hi. And uh, I want to thank Sherry and Jim. Um, yeah, well, and, and Barbara, frankly, the, the, the thing that came to mind suddenly uh, is I work in a rather stressful office, and what I found is that it's actually kind of interesting making amends to people who can be hard to talk with because they don't expect it. I love in the literature where it talks about the fact that we're no longer servile and cringing. You know, we stand on our own feet. You know, we take care of ourselves. We make our own amends. And when I had screwed up on something and it was a matter of not realizing that it was my thing to do, I honestly thought another department dealt with it. No big deal, really. And this man is, is yelling that if he'd not had his secretary bird dog this issue, he would not have known and we wouldn't have, this would not be taken care of. And I said, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. If she had not, if she hadn't caught it, I wouldn't have realized there was a problem and uh, that it was, that I, the problem was me, that I was the one that started this. I'm very sorry. And um, this is what's happened. We've already done the ordering we need to do. And this is the timetable we expect things to be worked out. And he just looked at me. And he was very confused because I was not going according to script. Uh, you know, I was supposed to be going, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Or I was supposed to be blaming someone. But, I, but, but just honestly taking uh, responsibility for myself, it's actually quite freeing because there's a little entertainment value at times. <laughs> you know, just the look on his face is something I will treasure forever. <laughs> and I have to say... I've had an odd bit of gratitude for some of the amends that have been made to me that I thought were terrible. Uh, I had someone deliver to my office an envelope just with my name on it 
And so it wasn't until I opened it up, I realized who it was from. And it was a bit of a panic when I realized who it was from. And the amends was, I'm sorry if I ever did anything that might have hurt you. I was thinking, you know, I could help you with that list if you need it. <laughs> but here's the thing is what I realized. I had to be grateful to this guy because I realized I could never do that. I could never do an anonymous thing like that. I mean, if I, if I have to do an amends like that, it's because there's a danger to myself or others. And chances are my sponsor is going to say, yes, it's a danger or no, it's not. I will have people I can trust to make that decision, not out of my own head, thanks. And, you know, so, so I'm not going to have to do that. I'm not going to have to say anything I may have done. I'll be able to say, this is what happened. I'll be able to be, if I can't be truly sorry about it, then... I have to work on that, but at least I don't have to make it vague and leave someone with this boiling feeling of how dare you. You know, so this guy, you know, I've forgiven him because this guy's crappy amend has helped me more, I tell you, than if, you know, if he'd done a beautifully done amends, I may still have tried to weasel around things. But as it was, this was the first time someone did that to me. Someone, so well, when I was in program, that someone did an amends that was like that to me. And it has saved all the people that I have made amends to from getting anything like that. So I'm, you know, thank you, Bill. So thank you so much. And we have time for one more? Yeah. You, there were no hands going up. It's yours. Hi, I'm Wendy. I'm a compulsive overeater. Thank you both so much. That was a great uh, workshop. Um, eight and nine. You know, as I was sitting here, it occurred to me, um, this, this has been a big week for me. On Monday, I took a state licensing exam, and the friend that I took to be my model, who I'm 38 years old, we've known each other since we were seven, um, the only reason that I'm in contact with her today is thanks to this program. I made an amends to her um, my first go-round with the steps. And, um, you know, when you're in high school, you, you tend to do stupid things, right? This had been a friend from elementary school, junior high. In high school, I decided, you know what, she's kind of a geek. She's not so cool. So I just kind of dropped her. You know what I mean? I would see her in school, but just something had changed. And I'm one of those people in the program who has the ism, the incredibly short memory of the addict. And I was just really busy eating in high school because that's what I did until I took off some weight um, in my last year. And I just remembered, God, you know, who would I... So my, well, I think my first sponsor um, told me when I was make, coming up with my list for eight and nine, well, for eight, she said, who would you not want to run into? You know, who would you walk into in the street that you would sort of duck and not want to see them? And this, you know, this woman, Beth, was one of those people. So um, I, uh, I, I think I got a hold of her address. I wrote her a letter. She wrote me a beautiful one back. And, you know, and our friendship has blossomed since then. And it's just been really it's been a wonderful gift. You know, I've done other amends. I've had to do financial amends. Um, the amends, you know, the wheels started rolling today. You know, there's going to need to be some more to family members because there's a lot of deep buried resentment, and I don't want to keep living through that resentment and the re-feeling, you know. Uh, forgive or relive is what I've heard people say. So uh, there's still more work that needs to be done, but um, just for this week, for today, I'm especially grateful for the one, and I only got that because of OA. Thanks. Okay, uh, it is now time to close this workshop. Please, we have one announcement. Oh, please.
I was asked to make this announcement that if any of you haven't been to the new TU boutique that they have a super sale on right now, you can grab a baggie and all the folded clothes, you can fill up the bag and get them for a dollar a bag. So. Well, that means that we need to have a moment of silence and, you know, <laughs> everyone sits down for just a second. And it's right, yeah, I think strategy is probably perfect for that. So it is now time to close this workshop. Please join me in a moment of, but first, just before that moment of silence, could we have a thank you for our speakers today? That'll sound good on the tape. It's now time to close the workshop. Please join me in a moment of silence, followed by, yeah, the serenity prayer.